city in Russia that nobody's ever heard of, not even Russians, contacted us three years ago. Almetyevsk is the name. It's in Tatarstan, about an hour's flight from Moscow. We got this strange email from them three years ago saying, yeah, we want to be the Copenhagen of Russia. We're a small city of 160,000 people and the mayor, he just gets it and he just says, let's do this, find me the people uh, who can do this and that ended up being us. Everything we told them to do, they just did it. They paved the most amazing bicycle network for this city. They're continuing to do so this year. The best bicycle infrastructure on the planet today, as I'm speaking to you, is in Almetyevsk, in Tatarstan, in Russia. <laughs> it's not even in Copenhagen. My name is Michael Koval Anderson. I am the founder and CEO of Copenhagenized Design Company. Michael Colville Anderson is one of the world's most influential urban designers and mobility experts. He's been nicknamed the Pope of Urban Cycling, the Richard Dawkins of Cycling, and even the Bieber of Urban Cycling. Michael has given multiple talks around the world on the importance of the bicycle for livable cities, including two TED Talk appearances. In 2007, Michael took a photo of a girl riding her bicycle through Copenhagen in fashionable everyday clothes. It was called the photo that launched a million bicycles and has helped normalise urban cycling outside Denmark. Michael was born in Canada and now works in Copenhagen. 40 years ago, the Danish capital was just as car-clogged as anywhere. Today, 41% of the population arriving at work or school do so on bikes. 56% of Copenhageners use bicycles every day. Every city could potentially be Copenhagenized. And that's something Michael and his team aim to do for cities around the world. Today, we are talking to Copenhagenized founder, Michael Colville Anderson, about how ideas, innovation and design are getting more people in cities on bikes. This is Movement. I'm your host, Thomas Slater. Hi, Michael. Could you tell us what cycling means to you personally? Cycling is transport. It's uh, the quickest way for me to get around uh, the city in which I live and, and many other cities around the world, but that's about it. For me, it's just uh, probably the most anthropologically correct form of transport in an urban environment. It makes sense on so many levels. So yeah, it's a pragmatic approach, really, but uh, I ride a bike every day in Copenhagen because it's the quickest way from A to B, and uh, I get my personal health benefits and I contribute to uh, a better city. So, uh, Michael, what does Copenhagenized do? And is your work limited to Copenhagen, please? Copenhagenized Design Company advises cities and governments around the world in how to become more bicycle-friendly. We're urban designers, urban planners, and uh, it is an interesting time to be working in urbanism, in bicycle urbanism, to be specific, because so many cities around the world want a piece of what we have here in Copenhagen, in Danish cities, in Dutch cities. Uh, people are really realizing that the bicycle uh, should come back to our cities and fulfill all the things it has done for us for so many years uh, for transport. So most of our clients are international all over the world. Uh, we don't We've done some work for the city of Copenhagen, but uh, they basically know what they're doing, so they don't need us in that sense. Uh, all of our clients are outside of Denmark. 
Before Michael founded Copenhagen Eyes in 2009, Copenhagen had already started and consolidated their urban cycling revolution, thanks to infrastructure and design investment and innovative ideas such as the Green Wave. A series of traffic lights synchronised so riders don't hit a red if they maintain a certain speed. The Green Wave carries 35,000 bikes each day into the centre of Copenhagen. What we have seen in Copenhagen over the past 10 years is uh, taking cycling for transport to the next level. Uh, there are so many interesting things that have appeared. If you look all over the world, uh, Copenhagen really is the city where there is the most innovation. And it is simple design innovation. It is technology used to tweak existing concepts that have been around for many years. and. That's what really makes it uh, exciting to, to live here and to work here. Uh, the first one really that captured people's imagination was the green wave. Uh, this is an idea that's been around since the 1950s for cars. You, put the, you, you coordinate the traffic lights for whatever speed, 30 miles an hour, 40 miles an hour. The idea was that cars would just flow freely uh, through, through a city. It never really worked for cars, but when it was implemented in 2000 and uh, I believe seven here in Copenhagen on all of the main arteries for bikes. It was set to 20 kilometers per hour and it has been a massive success. Uh, the average speed for cycling in Copenhagen or Amsterdam is about 16 kilometers per hour, 10 miles per hour. Uh, so just bumping that up to 20 has provided people with uh, a better flow. So you can ride on any of the main arteries to the city center uh, with a techni technological tailwind. Uh, you don't put your foot down, you just sail through all the green lights and you do the same when you go home in the afternoon. One of the added aspects to the green wave was the countdown timers. Many of the lights on the cycle tracks in Copenhagen, the traffic lights are uh, or have a pre-green. So the bikes get a green light a few seconds between 2 and 12 seconds depending on the volume of traffic uh, before the cars do. So this creates a lot of visibility and the cyclists are pushed into the intersection before the cars uh, start to move. So this is incredibly uh, safe and it prioritizes cycling. We've also seen some simple design additions uh, in Copenhagen and in the city of Fredericksburg here as well, uh, which are quite simply uh, countdown timers. Um, the Dutch have played with this idea as well, sort of giving you uh, sort of a countdown for when the light's going to turn green for pedestrians as well. We've seen it around the world. The ones here are placed maybe 150 meters uh, from the light that you're approaching and it simply says uh, this is the time until the next lights change so if you look ahead you see it's red and then you look at the timer and uh, it's it's uh, you know it's giving you 30 seconds before it turns green you slow down you start to coast so you don't have to get off your bike at the light and wait and the opposite is true if the light's green and you see uh, I have 15 seconds oh then you 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 know you put your uh, put your back into it and uh, and speed up a bit to get through the light. This increases flow, it increases the, 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 the sense of flow for people. They feel like they're getting through uh, traffic lights and getting to where they're going quicker. So again, it's a very uh, a simple design solution. 
which has had massive benefits for the perception of, of cycling quicker and as well as getting people through an intersection uh, more effectively. I was going to ask you how the green wave came about, but I think it's quite self-explanatory really, isn't it? Back in 2006 in Copenhagen, there was an election and a Lord Mayor was elected and a, another guy, he uh, became the, the mayor in charge of traffic and environment. And this guy came out of nowhere and said, let's go to the next level for cycling. And he put a whole bunch of money, like 60 million euros into a pot. And everybody here in, in my industry were going, what does the next level mean? <laughs> Nobody had considered it. We just sort of maintained our status quo for many years with uh, you know improvements to the infrastructure network and whatnot. But all of a sudden, there was just this big bag of money and uh, desire for new ideas. So uh, you know, all of us working in the industry here, and in particular the city of Copenhagen, um, started thinking. So the idea was, like I said, pulled out of the, you know, the, the old car archive files and uh, applied to the bike lanes. It was, it was sort of a, it wasn't the Wild West, that kind of sounds negative sometimes, but it was just basically a free-for-all. There, was, there were no limits uh, to what ideas could be brought to the table. So that was the first one, the most intuitive one, the one that was most pragmatic, uh, which we like a lot here in, in, in Denmark. Uh, design that is simple, functional, but also elegant. Uh, those are the principles of Danish design. So this fit perfectly. Wait, we can move a lot more people more effectively down one of the busiest streets leading to the city center. Okay, that makes uh, a lot of sense. So um, that was really, I don't know the which person got the idea. It was a big, amazing sort of innovative brainstorming going on for, uh, for a long time. But uh, it was really the sort of the flagship uh, idea for the, uh, the future of cycling in Copenhagen and taking it to the next level. In our research, we've seen that either side of the green wave, there's some interesting things like angled bins and, um, and those kind of things that really help to integrate the green wave into the streets in Copenhagen and, and to really reinforce the, the ease for cyclists. Is there anything of that nature that you could talk about, please? And anything involving, involved with that project or any other projects? Yep. What we saw happen when this wave of innovation washed over Copenhagen cycling was that there were a lot of simple ideas that really don't have anything to do with capacity and flow and moving a lot of people down the street but they were simply uh, maybe a bit of bling and they were all designed to spoil the cyclists of Copenhagen uh, which is something a lot of municipalities around the world don't even think about you know how do we spoil our citizens with uh, with uh, simple facilities but the ones that we saw emerging after the green wave uh, were for example uh, garbage cans uh, tilted towards the cyclists and that one, I'm happy to say, was my idea. <laughs> uh, the city of Copenhagen uh, uh, designed them based on uh, uh, my idea and made sure they fit the Copenhagen design guide. You know, they have to look like the other garbage cans. Uh, but this is uh, a simple thing. You know, when you have, you know, almost 400,000 people cycling every day in their regular clothes on regular bikes, just fast-moving pedestrians, we still have you know, garbage to throw out. You, you still have your coffee cup, you have your newspaper, your, your empty pack of cigarettes, uh, your banana peel. So it was kind of a fun idea, but they have proved to be incredibly effective. Um, 
kind of a strange thing that I did after they put them in, but we went out with my team and started looking in the garbage cans to see what people were throwing out. And they were exactly the same as any other garbage can for pedestrians, you know. So there was a need for it, and now you see them simply all over the city. Uh, it's become a, a, a staple uh, along the sides of the cycle tracks. One of the other ideas which proved to be rather effective was these railings at certain intersections. Um, the key to planning a bicycle-friendly city, apart from the, the best practice infrastructure, is understanding the transport psychology of cyclists. They're on a different machine. They don't have to just press their foot and propel their automobile. Uh, they're not pedestrians. Uh, they have a, a very specific machine. And the worst thing that can happen to you when you're riding a bike is having to stop. Second worst thing is having to get off your saddle <laughs> at a light. So the city of Copenhagen adopted a, a very simple idea based on a, an existing reality. If you look at every, every light post next to a stop line on a cycle track, the, the metal is rubbed completely smooth everywhere in the city. So whoever gets there first, they're going to lean their hand up against the, the light post so that they don't have to get off their saddle. Uh, so the city just put in railings. Um, and uh, allowed people to hold onto the railing so they didn't have to get off their saddle. They can also pull themselves you know, into momentum when they, when they start cycling, or they can use the footrest um, down below as they wish. And uh, I was involved with the, this project at the beginning and we developed a slogan for the city of Copenhagen, uh, a way to communicate to the cyclists. And it was simply high cyclist, and then they could insert their message and then say, thank you for cycling in the city. So on these first uh, railings, we saw the message down on the footrest, hi cyclist, rest your foot here, thank you for cycling in the city. We thought that it was important to, to thank the people who are riding in the city for, for all the amazing things that they do uh, for uh, the urban environment. Um, but a simple idea, it actually ended up having some behavioral advantages to, not to our surprise, but uh, uh, we didn't really expect it. Cyclists, because they want to maintain their momentum, they don't want to get off their bike or stop their bike, they would maybe slowly crawl past the stop line, you know, still riding their bike, waiting for the light to change, moving a little bit out into the traffic. So if they have this facility now, you just see people holding onto it. They realize they don't need to, uh, to try and balance their way slowly uh, and, and, and make a guess about when the light's going to change. They can actually sit there and, uh, and, and, and hold onto the railing and not get off their saddle. So incredibly simple design features that we've seen emerging. I love the high cyclists. That's such a great idea. I thought it was incredibly, uh, you know, simple. Uh, the high cyclist, it was kind of ironic the way that I designed it because, uh, you know, we're not cyclists in Copenhagen. We're just regular people using bikes. We don't have that identity. You know, if I'm in a bar in the UK and I turn to the next guy and say, hey, I'm a cyclist, they're going to have a really horrible image of me wearing spandex and helmets and, you know, on some carbon fiber bike, you know. So for us, being a cyclist is not associated with, uh, with that subculture of spandex and racing and recreation. So it's kind of a 1950s tone in Danish, you know, hi, cyclist, you know, make sure that you have a good ride today. That kind of, uh, you know, uh, newsreel kind of uh, tone that we had back in the 50s. So, but it's, it's, it's a simple way. Uh, to communicate with these people who are on bikes in the city. And for me, the most important part was, you know, thanking them 
doesn't matter what the city uh, puts into the middle there, you know, hi cyclists, we're uh, upgrading the cycle tracks on this route, thank you for cycling the city, uh, or have a good ride in the city. Makes people realize that they you know, are appreciated for their transport form without all of the pressure of becoming, you know, a cyclist. Uh, so it was, it was an effective uh, communication form uh, and still lingers today. I still, I saw a poster the other day, they're still using it, so uh, they must like it. Yeah, it's, it, it's, it works really well, actually. I really appreciate your comment about the tone. That's very, that's very amusing. And it, and it leads me perfectly onto my next question, Michael. Um, could you tell us about the importance of good design and the creative, developmental and possibly executional process behind it and why it's important to execute these projects the way that you guys do? Mm-hmm. For so many decades in our cities all over the world, we have put basically all of our money on traffic engineering to solve or fix or think innovatively about uh, transport in our cities. Uh, This has been a massive mistake. Uh, Traffic engineering has done really nothing for transport in our cities. Uh, Yeah, the roads are built. There's, There's... there's technology and experience about what kind of asphalt to use and, 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 and whatnot. Uh, but it's basically uh, a, 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 a profession um, whose, whose time you know, is, is over uh, as being the dominant force for transport. Taking design and placing that ahead of engineering is something that I have been doing with the company for many years. Uh, but not just design, also just reversing the pyramid, thinking first about the people in the city and how they're using the city and how we can we can encourage them to do different things, uh, nudge their behavior. Uh, so it's really anthropology and sociology, but then we start looking at urban planning and urban design, which are very people-focused uh, professions. Um, we employ a lot of transport psychology. We really want to understand how the... Uh, the people on bicycles uh, use the machine and, and what their expectations are. Uh, and at the end of the day, when we have to build stuff, then we have engineers who have that experience. But really, it is all of these other uh, approaches first. And that is the cornerstone of how I've been working with the company for many years, is thinking about the people um, following their desire lines through the urban landscape and trying to design based on where they're going and, and where they would like to go uh, instead of you know trying to control them with pedestrian barriers uh, along uh, the sidewalks uh, or you know trying to funnel them into uh, uh, another direction uh, it's arrogant to assume that we can control people in our cities like sheep it's time that we started employing uh, you know transport psychology and urban planning and desire lines in order to understand uh, what they want to do. Uh, They are the experts, uh, the people who live in any city, and uh, we just have to watch and observe them and and design based on on their desire lines and on uh, their, their mobility patterns. Um, so that I think it's incredibly important that we are, we are, we're changing the way that we're thinking, not just in bicycle urbanism, but we really see it uh, all growing all over the world. Uh, this, this, not a new approach, this is how we used to design our cities for 10,000 years without having anybody called an urban planner or urban designer, but this was the natural evolution of the urban landscape all over the planet. And now we are you, you know, sort of using a more academic approach to it uh, and, and 
creating patterns and trying to figure out how to do it better and learning from each other uh, across borders, uh, which, which is absolutely fascinating. It is the age of urbanism and we are really starting to get our game face on for thinking differently about the future of our cities. In your opinion, Michael, what can be done to make cycling easier and safer in cities? What are the fundamental things that can be done? That's an easy question. It involves infrastructure. There is no chicken or egg. There is only best practice bicycle infrastructure. As you see throughout greater Copenhagen with 1,000 kilometers of cycle tracks. We've known how to do this for 100 years. The designs are nothing new, but they are tried and tested and proven to work uh, incredibly efficiently. Uh, So designing bicycle infrastructure properly is absolutely the key. People won't ride bikes in any great numbers in cities uh, if there is no infrastructure. yeah, the brave uh, spandexy dudes will probably ride anyway, but it's not about them anywhere in the world anymore. It is about the 20-25% of the population of any city in the world who, who would be cycling if uh, it were made safe and if they had also the, the feeling that it was safe. Uh, if you feel safe doing something, you're more likely uh, to do it regardless of, of what it is. So infrastructure is absolutely the key. Uh, the other very important factor is what I call A to B-ism. It is a basic building block of the human mind since we became Homo sapiens, and probably even before that, all the other uh, different types of uh, species that, became, that came before us. Uh, all we want to do is go fast from A to B. You know, any route that you're going to do uh, on your daily, uh, in, in your daily life, uh, you're going to try and figure out the quickest way to get there. Now we have you know, apps for that, uh, it, and it really feeds into our desire to go quickly from A to B, you know, whether it's to work or back or uh, to that cafe for the Tinder date or maybe away from the cafe after a failed Tinder date, whatever. We want to get somewhere quick. And uh, understanding that basic human psychology is incredibly important. The people riding a bike today in Copenhagen, these 400,000 people, they will tell you every two years the city of Copenhagen asks them, these, the same question since 1996. What is your main reason for cycling? The vast majority, every single time, will tell you um, it's quick. It's simply the fastest way from A to B in the city. Then there are people, uh, a smaller group of people, who will say, oh, I, get my, I feel good about my health. You know, I'm getting that 30 minutes a day the doctors tell me I should. You know, it's only 1% who, who do it to save the planet, you know, to save a polar bear on their bike today. So understanding that people will choose any transport form that is the fastest way from A to B or a combination of them, bikes and trains or bikes and buses, you know, combining it with intermodality, that is absolutely paramount. Um, you know, I, I use the metro I use in, in Copenhagen to go to the airport. I use buses once in a while, very rarely. I use the bike because I'm getting there before every other form of transport uh, that, that is offered to me. If I lived farther out in the suburbs of greater Copenhagen, I would probably ride my bike to the train, take the bike on these incredibly wide train, uh, train compartments uh, dedicated for bikes, and then get to the city and do my last mile by bike. I would, you know, if that is the fastest way, I would be doing that, absolutely. So infrastructure and understanding that people want to go faster may to be. Make the bicycle the most competitive transport form uh, in any time uh, and combine it with other intelligent transport forms like public transport. And that is really, uh, that's the future of transport in your city right there. Thanks, Michael. Speaking of what's coming next, what does the future hold for Copenhagen eyes? I would say that 
there is no shortage of work <laughs> for us uh, at the moment. Um, it was back in 2008. I was doing some work with the city of Copenhagen then. Uh, had a you know, very small company, uh, just sort of doing my own thing. Uh, and there was a guy at the city of Copenhagen who said to me, Michael, start a consultancy. Uh, you know, a bicycle planning, bicycle urbanism consultancy. And I said, why the hell would I do that? And he said, because, dude, in five to ten years, the entire world is going to want to know how we do what we do here and how they can do it as well. And I went, huh, okay, so I did that. <laughs> and uh, that, that, I still owe that guy a bottle of wine, I can tell you. There is no shortage. Every city in the world uh, has talked about bikes in their city council chambers. Almost guarantee you every city in the world has at least had the conversation. Uh, where 10 years ago, nobody was talking about the bikes. So bicycles are back. And now cities are realizing the benefits that uh, they are an effective transport form in cities that there are massive health benefits for society if you uh, get your game face on for bicycle urbanism and you know, spend the money on the infrastructure. Uh, it's all basic maths for us here. Uh, the people riding bikes in Copenhagen today contribute 233 million euros a year to the public health. Uh, that far outweighs the money that the city has invested in bicycle infrastructure over the past 10 years. I mean, it's a massive, amazing business model. So the future for, for us and other companies like us and for cities uh, is that the bicycle is returning. The momentum is so strong. Uh, we will see a return to uh, cities embracing the bicycle as transport. <laughs> We've just completed probably one of the largest projects, uh, the entire bicycle strategy uh, for the city of Detroit. So when a city like Detroit calls you, directly and says, hey, we want to really put our money on bikes and public transport as well, but uh, tell us what to do, and they commission a massive detailed document for how to do it, then you know uh, that the paradigm is shifting. Uh, you know, it, Before, it was maybe smaller cities in Europe that we were working with. Now, we are moving into the United States uh, with our best practice infrastructure from Copenhagen and, and all of these uh, techniques and methods that we use. So it really is uh, an interesting time. We're seeing the bicycle returning uh, to cities all over the planet, and uh, it's not going anywhere anytime soon. Michael, what would be your dream project? So if you had unlimited funding to make cycling easier or safer. What's the next level? Taking an entire city uh, and Copenhagenizing them and implementing bicycle infrastructure networks absolutely everywhere. That would probably uh, be uh, the dream project. Taking what we did in Elmetyevsk in Russia and, and scaling it up to a larger city. And the greatest thing about it is that for the the same price as maybe five kilometers of six-lane motorway, we could Copenhagenize a city of two million people. It's really that inexpensive. That was really interesting, especially some of the points about the cost, you know? That was fascinating. Yeah, I mean, it is. It's, it's really important, you know, when, in my, I don't know, most of my work is repeating myself uh, and myth-busting, you know, for 10 years. God, if I had like one euro for every time I had to bust a tired old myth about urban cycling, you know, I'd be Skyping you from my island in the Bahamas with Richard Branson coming for dinner later, you know. Um, unfortunately, I haven't worked on that, worked out that business model yet, but it, it really is 
you know, uh, mathematics. You know, we're, we're Danish. We're pragmatic. Uh, we don't do stuff unless we know it's going to pay off, unless we know it's going to work. So uh, we just simply look at the numbers, you know, and for 70 years with traffic engineering, we've only asked one question of our traffic engineers, and that's been, how many cars can we fit down a street? That's the only thing they're educated to figure out, um, by and large. Uh, and now modern cities and cities like Copenhagen are asking uh, a different question. They're changing the question. How many people can we move down a street? Using all the things that we've invented, all this cool stuff like trams and buses and bikes uh, and trains. And it's quite simple when you look at a street, you can see that a car lane in the UK, anywhere in the world, can move about 1,300 vehicles per hour when the traffic is flowing smoothly, which is rare in any city in the world. Um, a cycle track, 2.3 meters wide on both sides of the street, that can move 5,900 people per hour. So combine that with trams, combine that with public transport of any kind, and you are moving a lot of people down the street. It's just number crunching, uh, and, and that's really important. It's not like this whole, oh, I'm a cyclist, you know, everybody should ride bikes because I have seen the light hallelujah, uh, you know, that sanctimonious tone you hear from a lot of the real avid cyclists. This is just simply number crunching, and the benefits are absolutely massive for the public health, for, for the quality of life in a city. So it's, I, I like to break it down to, to these numbers and to the, the pragmatic approach uh, when I'm speaking with uh, cities around the world because that, kinda, they kind of get that. Everybody gets the numbers and uh, then you get to eliminate all the, you know, the green washing of, oh my God, bicycles are so amazing, blah, 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 right? So it, it is really just a business model. physical sensation of gliding with the wind in your face is exhilarating. That automatic activity of pedaling when you have to be awake but not think too much allows you to let subconscious thoughts bubble up and things seem to just sort themselves out. And the adrenaline wakes you up if you weren't properly alert. If I'm commuting to work by bike, I'm fully awake by the time I get there, having dealt with a little bit of New York traffic en route. That's David Byrne from Talking Heads on his love of cycling in cities. This episode was recorded in London, October 2018. Music was by Lee Rossevere. Thanks for listening. Tune in next time. And please don't hesitate to get in touch if you want to be featured on our podcast. Check out beryl.cc to learn about our mission to get more people in cities on bikes. You can also say hi on our voicemail at plus four four seven eight three four one nine zero seven four six or see what we're up to on social media at We Are Beryl. Happy cycling, and until next time, I've been your host, Thomas Slater.